Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight Lightweight True True Crime. Crime. The FaceTime recording that has got us off on... Uh, it really does. It's like I'm trying to read your lips over the internet. Lightweight, I know. True, Lightweight true crime. crime. Mm. Uh, well, happy quarantine to you. Happy quarantine. Um, my, Emily... My drink is really good. Tell us about... We've started something new with the drinks as of late. So tell us. Yes. So if you haven't listened to the last two episodes... Since we're social distancing, we're having our executive producer, Ryan, give us a title of a drink, and then we each make what we think that that drink would be made of. So this week is Caribbean Sea, Caribbean sea Monster. Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean Sea Monster. Um, are you saying <laughs> something to me? <laughs> Okay, I thought you said that the drink we had to make was in, had, was inspired by Rice Krispies. No, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hold on, I'm checking my text messages. What happened? Okay, so I I texted you and said, we're going to make the <gasps> oh. Caribbean Sea Monster, which is because Ryan thinks I'm a monster. Okay. Because... So this is what happened, everybody. So I guess Sarah's drinking the Rice Krispie, and I'm drinking the Caribbean <laughs> Sea Monster. I was like, so so I was like trying to Google like Caribbean Sea Monster drink because I was like, wait a second, I obviously <laughs> mi- I missed that text, and I was like, wait, why is he mad at you? And then and then you said like Rice Krispie treat, right. and I just latched onto that. So Emily, tell us what is in your Caribbean Sea Monster drink, <laughs> and I'll tell you what's in my Rice Krispie drink. Perfect. So I had told Ryan, I said, like, Ryan, come up with a name. And he was literally eating a Rice Krispie Treat. So he was like, Rice Krispie Treat. And I was like, no, it can't be food or something because then that's really easy. We know what should be in that. Marshmallow and other things. Right. So then he was like, fine, how about Caribbean Sea Monster? And I was like, because I'm a monster. And he was like, no. And I was like, fine, whatever. Okay. So my Caribbean Sea Monster is some coconut rum. Mm -hmm. Delicious. That's good no matter what. Yeah. And some orange liqueur and mango liqueur and Seven Up. So it That's tastes excellent, delicious. That's fantastic. It's so good. I'm gonna get pretty, pretty you're gonna, tipsy. You're gonna, with you're this. gonna get pretty what? <laughs> pretty tipsy. Well, well deserved. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So, what's your uh, your Rice Krispie <clears throat> treat drink? So my Rice Krispie cut. My Rice Krispie drink um is vodka half half and half okay coffee liqueur sprinkled Um, with some rice krispies in there okay so that sounds that doesn't sound like something i would like i don't like coffee or cream but how is it i love coffee and cream but i'm not gonna lie to you this is a little disgusting it's, yeah. Um, you should not be mixing vodka with any kind of dairy. Is I think I no. feel like a rule. 
What is a white Russian though? Because isn't That's, that it's like, like milk and vodka? It is a spinoff of a white Russian with some yeah. um, with some Rice Krispie treats. Yeah. So uh, I think we got to have Micah starting to pick our drink inspirations because Ryan's not doing a great Seriously, job. Seriously, I know. It's really not. But I told him no food or drinks that already exist because yeah. that's cheating. Yeah, and yeah, we got to end that. Yeah. Um, Emily, what's the update on the giveaway we just had? Oh, that's right. We just did a giveaway and we picked a winner. Um, a follower called Kelsey. Her name is Kelsey Staley. <laughs> Staley. Spelled like Staley. Kelsey Staley. So I'm um, mailing those fun little watercolors I did out. Um, maybe we'll do another giveaway. So follow us on Instagram at Lightweight True Crime. Um, we had something else we were going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about the giveaway. I don't think there was, oh, I was going to ask you, yesterday was Easter. Did you do like a quarantine Easter egg hunt with Micah? We didn't, um, because we didn't even think about that until the day before. (laughs) Cause we were, we were planning to just go to Ryan's parents' house because like we were just like all quarantined and we were like, we'll just like go there they're the only people we're seeing but then they were like no we don't really want you guys to come over just because ryan still has to go into work on sundays Mm. and he's not like he's staying six feet away from people but but it's still like and they're in an auditorium so it's like they're not super in close quarters but just on the off chance you know so we ended up not going down there last minute so we didn't have any eggs or anything so and you know what Micah didn't know it was Easter <laughs> it's <right>. fine <laughs> and he was cranky all day because the night before he didn't sleep great mm. he woke up at two and when I go in there he gets super excited so he's just like awake yeah. um so he made me read to him for two hours and then I gave up and Ryan went in there <laughs> read to him for two hours at two in the morning yeah it was not fun oh parenthood and I would I would like doze off and he would like throw one of his binkies at oh. me because he has those <laughs> those binkies with the little stuffed animals on them and I'd like okay I'm awake and then when Ryan went in there instead of throwing binkies at Ryan he threw them at the bedroom door because he's like no I want mom back I don't want you I don't want you. come oh. back mom oh my gosh what a little monster <laughs> I know right <laughs> oh my gosh did he sleep last night yeah, and then he slept. He slept fine last okay, night. Good. Fell asleep super fast. Well, yeah, I would too. Yeah, because he was so tired. I, I, know. I would too if I made you read me stories in the middle of the night. I know. which I've really got to stop making you do. <laughs> I know, and yeah, and then Sarah called me at two thirty, <laughs> made me read to her, and I was throwing, a mess. was throwing you virtual binkies. Yeah. yeah, that's a problem. That's a real problem. Yeah. Um. Did I? Yeah. Did I tell you about? Uh. So back on the theme of quarantine, crazy that. Uh-huh. Um, so because I just moved, I've, I needed to get a new psychiatrist. Well, well, because I have new insurance with this new job. So I needed to get a yeah. new psychiatrist to prescribe me my happy pills. And, um, I was like trying to make an appointment with this new doctor, but coronavirus is nuts. So like I couldn't get in for an appointment in any reasonable amount of time. So with my new insurance, like I have access to like telehealth and you could just like Mm-hmm. And so I get on there. I'm like, oh, I've never done this. I wonder if this will be faster. So, like, you put in your information. They're like, cool, a doctor will call you. I was like, great. Like, 20 minutes later, my phone rings. I'm thinking they'll call me within the day. And it's like, no, yeah. 20 minutes later. 
His doctor's like, yeah, I'm with this healthcare, da-da-da. What do you need? <laughs> I was like... It's so nice, because Kaiser has that, too. That's when I, I had a doctor's appointment today, too. Yeah. Because I've been getting hives all over my body, probably because of stress. Yeah. And so I called and made an appointment, and they were like, yeah, it's at, like, 1. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. And then literally, like, 15 minutes later, like, I had a no-caller ID calling me. Yeah. And I was like, there's, there's no way it's the doctor. And then it was him, and I was like, oh, shoot. Right? Like, it's crazy. It's nuts. So, so this guy's like, what do you need? And I'm, exp- I'm giving him this, like, long explanation about... Because I'm asking him to prescribe me, like, powerful, like, psychiatric yeah. drugs. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, I, you know, was seeing this doctor, and but I got new insurance, so I need a new one. But I can't because of the virus. And I was like, I've been on this medication for 10 years. Like, he, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, like, he, liter- he clearly, like, doesn't want all this information I'm giving yeah. him. Yeah, he's like, just tell me what you need. Yeah. He's like, so you need X amount of this? And I was like, yes. He doesn't ask for my old psychiatrist's information. Oh, my gosh. To be, like, to verify that this is a drug yeah. that she prescribed me for many years. Like, doesn't ask for any documentation. And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to write you a prescription for three months' worth. <laughs> Thank you. And I was like, cool. cool. And he goes, yeah, normally we can't... Um, we're not allowed to do, like, the telehealth, like, psychiatry drugs, but because of the Mm. virus, like, we can. And I was like, cool, thank you. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm stocked. I'm, uh, I mean, it's not like I was asking for opioids or anything like that, but, but still, I was like, that, you asked me very few questions about that. Yeah. I know when I, when I, when we switched insurances, when we got married, I had to do that. I had to like call Kaiser and be like, I was, I used to see this psychiatrist and this is what I was taking. And it was like my, cause you have to like get referrals through Kaiser. Mm-hmm. So it was, I had to call my like, um, primary care doctor and was asking her like, can you like give me a recommendation for a psychiatrist in the area? And she was like, I'll just prescribe that for you. It's fine. And so for like two years, like I didn't even have to go to see a psychiatrist. Yeah. But now my my psychiatrist that I've been seeing just quit, and so I have an appointment at the end of this month to see a new one, and I don't want to go in. Well, you'll probably have to do telehealth if it's at the end of this yeah. month. Yeah. Didn't LA County just extend the shelter in place until through the middle yeah, of May? Yeah, like May 8th. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I miss bars. Um. Also, I remembered this, too. A long, long, long while back, we talked about how I found this sticky note yes in my house that was children of the snow mm-hmm. so dear friend of the podcast and patty and you texted me one day you told me and you were like you would oh i you did were like we talked about it in the podcast you were like oh my god you wrote this murder down and i was like yeah i didn't emily you were like no yeah and then Anne heard us talking about it on the podcast yeah and she texted me and was like that was me that was my <laughs> sticky note and i was like oh my gosh we'll have to like Give everybody closure and let them know we figured out whose sticky note it was. Yeah, if you've been if you've been you know really anxious about that for the last twelve yeah. episodes, right? Let that calm your mind. <laughs> oh my gosh! One less thing to worry about. Oh my gosh! So, um, our mutual friend Katie, who is quarantining uh-huh. with her boyfriend and his family right now in Texas. Oh my gosh! So she and I and uh, her boyfriend we were FaceTiming yesterday and. Her boyfriend's dad is a like retired like oh my god police detective yeah. like chief of police and been on forensic been files. on forensic files like he interviewed the confession killer like so many things like no big deal um and Katie was telling me that like but like her boyfriend doesn't like to hear about any of it 
and she was saying that she had an hour alone with her boyfriend's dad yesterday where all she did was ask him questions about the craziest cases he's ever worked. And she she goes, yeah, and I told him about your podcast. <gasps> is he going to listen to and it? And I was like, Katie, don't tell him about the podcast. I guess he was like, oh, is your friend, is she like a PI? <laughs> and I mean, lately I've been having to like research Facebook and stuff to figure out if my friends who stop posting about their husbands are divorced or not. So <laughs> well, listen, we're, I think I'm a PI. We're millennials. We all do that. Um, but I was just laughing so hard because I was like, what did you do? Did you explain to him that um, we, I have a podcast where we make cocktails and talk about true, yeah. we say like a lot and we talk about true crime. Um, but I was like, please don't tell him what the name of this podcast is. No. <laughs> I, I really want to know like people like him and like, really like good solid detectives like what do they think about how people are like into true crime yeah like I know that like Paul Holes is a detective who I super respect and like he has a true crime podcast yeah but like is he like the exception to the rule or do most cops like yeah. think it's cool that people are into true crime <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'll ask, I I'll ask Katie to ask, uh, him, yeah. to ask him cause yeah. who knows. cause I think I don't, I, cause like in my mind, I feel like Paul Holes, you know, cause I know Paul Holes purse, we're close personal right. friends. We were just zooming. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you, you were part of that, the art show. Tell, I did. I tell went. Tell people about that. So, um, the murder squad, Billy Jensen and Paul Holes did this cool, um, virtual art show. Um, and I went, I went like the first like 20 minutes and then my phone was about to die, but it was super cool. They just like put up art that people had like submitted or tagged them in on Instagram, like things that like inspired them to do like cool, like murder squad art. And people are like so talented out there. Uh, well, your, so your cool. thing was incredible. Was it, did you go to the art show? No, I saw it on your Instagram. Oh, yeah, but I don't think that they included it in there. Well, but yours is the oh. thing that I saw. And was that on your personal oh, account yeah. or was that on your new one? It was on my new one. Which is what, it's Emily? Not a new, it's not a new one. It's Now it's Guzman underscore creative. So before it was, a, I used to do like embroidery and cross-stitching. Um, now it's just everything. So because I'm in this quarantine, I've just been into like, Using my iPad to draw some stuff. It's awesome. I'm looking at it right now. I actually did one did one of you today, Sarah, that maybe we'll post <gasps> on Lightweight True oh Crime. My gosh. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm honored. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, we um, should probably mention that this is a podcast where two girls <laughs> share a drink and a story. <laughs> drink and a story, and I'm eating bread. Emily is just um, eating a hunk of, of bread, which is great. I, I really Live am. your best life. In our... And I'm sitting in our bed. Sorry, Ryan. He hates food in bed, but he's sitting at my desk. So, <laughs> what other? I got to eat in bed. What other choice do you have? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, this is gonna be a long episode because my story's long, and we've already been and we've already been shooting talking the about shit. nonsense for 15 minutes. So let me begin us then with my story. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Um, I thought about titling this after the villain, the uh, criminal. But I was like, no, he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. So we are going to talk about the heroism of Janny Legans. Ooh, okay. um, thank you to BuzzFeed, Wikipedia, the Associated Press, 
CBS News, and The Guardian for all the information on this story. <clears throat> you'll, you'll probably recognize this as I get into details, but maybe not. Okay. So, Daniel Holtzclaw was born in 1986 to Eric Holtzclaw and Kumiko Holtzclaw. His mom is Japanese. Um, Okay. His father was a career police officer in Oklahoma and in a town about 70 miles north of Oklahoma City. And after Daniel graduated from college, he followed in his dad's footsteps and he joined the Oklahoma City Police Department. And it was around 2 a.m. in June of 2015 when the 27-year-old police officer was ending his shift on the northeast side of Oklahoma City. He's, um, he's driving home. He's calling it a night. And, but while he's driving back to his residence, he makes a traffic stop. And this is notable because, number one, his shift is over. And he doesn't report it to police dispatch, which is, like, Uh-oh. what you would normally do. Um, yeah. And he... And he had turned off uh, his patrol car computer. So these are all like irregular things to make yeah. to make a traffic stop. So the woman he pulled over was a 57-year-old African-American grandmother. Her name was Janie Lagans. I don't know that I'm pronouncing either of those right, so my apologies. Um, and she was also on her way home. She had been playing um, dominoes with a friend at her friend's house. And apparently it was nuts because it was 2 a.m. and she was just getting home. Dang. So baby girl was living her best life. I know. I hope that's me when I'm 57. <laughs> um, so when Officer Holtzclaw approaches Jean- Janie's car, she signals that her driver's side window is broken. So, like, she she can't roll it down, right? Um so instead of, like, speaking to her through another window, like, ro- roll down your passenger side window or whatever, um, the police officer has her get out of the car and sit in the rear passenger side of his patrol car, which is weird. I already don't like that. Yeah. Um, he asks her if she's been drinking and, because, like, she'd had a styrofoam cup in her car, and she's like, no, it was Kool-Aid. And... Uh, he continues, like, questioning her, um, asking, like, do you have anything else on you, like, anything illegal that could get you in trouble? And she's like, what is happening? Um, and he said, if you have something on you and you tell me now, then I won't take you to jail. But if you don't tell me about it now and I find something, then I'm going to take you to jail. And Janie is like, no, I don't have anything on me. Like, what is your deal? Right. Um, and he, the police officer, at, at this point, Daniel Holtzclaw is like, I have to check. Like, you need to, like, lift up your shirt. So. And that's not how cops check. That's not how that works. And so. Yeah. She exposes her stomach um, to which the officer is like, no, you might be carrying something in your bra. And you, you need to lift up your shirt higher. So Jannie is not an idiot. Like, she knows where this is going. And she, she yeah. starts, like, begging him to, like, not do this. And, like, even at one point saying, like, you're not supposed to do this. And, but he says that if she doesn't comply with him, he will follow her home. Yes. And it's then that he sexually assaults her. Mm. So after it was over, Jannie goes to her car and she gets herself home. Um, and with the help of her daughter, they do what middle class and upper class people do and feel safe doing when they've been victimized. 
They call the police. Um, and they eventually go into the police station to make a report. So that night, Detective Kim Davis was the on-call detective in the Oklahoma City Police Sex Crimes Unit. I like to think of her as the Oklahoma City Olivia Benson. Olivia Benson. And she meets up with Janie at the hospital because after making the report, like, she has gone to the hospital to have, like, a, like, to see if there was any forensic evidence that doctors could get off of her person. Um, And so... Kim Davis meets her at the hospital and takes her her statement, and she describes the officer to her. So when Daniel Holtzclaw reports to the station the following afternoon for work, my guess is, like, they, I, I looked. They didn't say, like, I, he must have been unique looking or there must have been, like, enough de- um, factors yeah. about, like, what area they were in and what time it was. I mean, it was Oklahoma, and he was half Japanese. I'm sure that that's... Yeah. And Rare. that, like... In the 80s, you said? Oh, no, he was born in 86. This was 2015. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, Never mind. And also, like, people work specific beats, and they work specific shifts, right? Yeah. So, um... So when he comes into the station the next afternoon, Detective Kim Davis has him come into the sex crimes unit for questioning um, with her and another detective named Rocky Gregory, where for two hours he denies Janie's allegations. Um, And at the conclusion of the interrogation, the two detectives tell Holtzclaw that, like, we think you're lying to us uh, because of, like, things he said about his whereabouts and what he had been doing compared to, like, what his live-in girlfriend said. Like, stuff was not adding up. Um, But they didn't have enough to hold him on. So he's placed on administrative leave while the investigation continues. So while looking over the victim's statement, the detectives remember that a similar report um, came in in May of 2014. So they go through police, they go through old records and they find the report of a woman who said she was stopped in May of 2014 and driven to an isolated area by an officer who assaulted her. Nothing had been done at the time about this. I don't know why, like there was, the article didn't give information like she recant, she recanted or the cops just didn't care. Like I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. Um, or maybe there just wasn't anything enough to like, I don't know. Um, But the detectives go back to that woman, and she shows them the route that the officer had taken the night of the attack, and they compare it with Daniel Holtzclaw's GPS route that evening. Wow. And it's a match. Hmm. So then the detectives decide to look at the names that Holtzclaw had run through the department's database, looking specifically for people whose names had been run several times. I mean... Police run names all the time, right? Like, that's, that's yeah. a normal thing. That's why there's a database. But they were zeroing in on, like, what were names, like, he had run multiple times. And they reach out to those women. This leads them to six women who were willing to come for- forward and testify that Holtzclaw had assaulted them. Wow. Which, that means that, like, there were more women who sit. Who were not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, willing to testify. But six of them said, like, yes, he assaulted me, and yes, I'll come forward and testify. Um, and not only were, like, like it happened, they were willing to testify, and the GPS device that was on Holtzclaw's patrol car Mashed. put him at the scene of each of the attacks. Um, it's a lot. So far, this story is not very dark. Well, I mean... I mean, yeah, yes. Okay. So we'll get into it. So okay. K- Kim Davis 
was quoted as saying he would check their background first and if if they had convictions on drug use of prostitution mm. then he would target them he could use yeah. it yeah he would say well i need to search you i need to make sure you don't have x y and z and it would kind of start from there she said oh. Nearly every one of Daniel Holtzclaw's accusers had criminal histories of drug abuse, sex work, or they had outstanding warrants, and every last one of them was African American. They're the perfect victim. Nobody's going to believe them. If you believe them, who cares, Kim Davis said. A prostitute can't be raped. Yes, yes, they can. So that's why he was picking these kind of women, because that's the perfect victim, she said. But Holtzclaw made one crucial error that led to his arrest. He assumed that Janney was like his other victims. Because all of his victims were, like, outside of, like, one teenager, they were all African-American, middle-aged women, but women of a lower social status who had reason to mistrust the police, women women with active warrants or arrest records. But Janney didn't have a record. She was... like firmly middle class. And while she was driving through an area where the other women had been attacked, she didn't live there. She was, she was leaving a friend's place, which I think that is the most fascinating, like sociological, like, like weird study just in that, that like, right. So this woman didn't have a criminal record, but like she was still African American, but she was middle class. And like right. the way they frame it makes it seem like that's the factor that made her go to the police. Right. Which I just think that which like so what does that say about the relationship between law enforcement and like impoverished communities? Absolutely. And what does it say about like right? Like you and I are both firmly middle class. Our parents are upper middle class like and yeah. we've never had reason or like anyone tell us there was any reason to mistrust right yeah um i just think that that's like fascinating and yeah it's interesting because it's like there's such a strong police presence in lower socioeconomic areas because like i've never had a reason to mistrust the police because i've never really had any interactions with any any cops or anything like that but if i lived in a lower socioeconomic like neighborhood like there would be cops everywhere all the time and i would probably be suspicious because like when i was a teenager i did stupid stuff like toilet paper my friend's house and whatever and if like i had tried to do that in a lower income area like i would have been ticketed police would have shown up and like done something the the chances the chances of like having interactions with the system like when you're poor and a minority are just so much higher because they are populations that are over they're underserved and over policed because being being policed doesn't mean that you're being served no Um, it's the opposite most times honestly like i think of dumb stuff my dad did as a teenager that if he if he were black or brown like could have been the end you know and yeah um like, I remember I was arguing with a white family member um, a few summers ago about, you remember that video of the girl at a pool party and, like, a police officer, like, drags her by the hair? It's no. real. It's really bad. She's, like, a teenager. Uh. It's, it's super bad. And I was arguing with this white family member about how, like, that's horrible, you know, and... Yeah. And, and I was saying, like, if that happened to – I was trying to, like, be like, what if that happened to so-and-so or so-and-so, like, talking about their, like, young family members? And I was yeah. like, because if that happened to me, that police officer would have lost his job because I'm white and my dad has money. 
Like, right. But like when you don't totally, when you don't have access to resources to like, to fight for the rights that you should just have as like being a human being. As not being dragged by your hair. For being at a pool party. I know. Anyway. One, the story I almost did today was like super tied to the war on drugs and (gasps) was gonna be like basically an hour of us talking about how racist the war on drugs was but i'm not doing that so we can talk about that later so next week we'll talk about it yeah (laughs) so okay um this the crucial error he made was he thought janny was the same as his other um victims so in running the names of his other victims and identifying other women, the investigators come across a 17-year-old girl who Daniel Holtzclaw had given a ride home um, and then attacked her. And they have some of Holtz... I don't know how they got this, but they have some of Holtzclaw's... His clothing, like uh, like his uniform. And uh-huh. there, it contains, like, there's a sample of, like, female DNA on it, right? So they're testing it against the women that they find that yeah. were victimized against him. Or who he victimized. Who he victimized, yeah. And they take the 17-year-old's DNA and they send it to the lab and it comes back as a match. And it's not, yes, it's not like, on his sleeve. It's, like, in the zipper. Like, inside, Ugh. like, the zipper flap of his pants. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, we brushed up against each other. Um, Kim Davis says, I was going to do a backflip off of my file cabinet, but I didn't. I love this Kim Davis. (laughs) She said, we finally had some science to throw at the jury. Juries like DNA because they all watch CSI. Yeah. So by the time the case went to trial in November of 2015, prosecutors filed charges against Holtzclaw for sexually assaulting 13 women, which, and those are just the ones that they could file charges Right. Like, that means there's so many more out there. Right. So, and a, another Jeez. interesting tidbit, the case goes to trial in Oklahoma, um, uh, Oklahoma City, and while African Americans make up 16% of the population of Oklahoma City, there were no black people on the jury. That is, oh, that's so annoying how, like, how... That can be possible. That is not a jury of your peers. Of peers, and especially in a case where it's like part of this is like you're targeting a specific race of of right. Like, it, I just could not. I could not believe yeah. that. So, um, in a very predictable move, uh, Officer Holtzclaw's defense attorney used the victims' criminal records and substance abuse issues against them in trial because, like. These 13 women testified about what happened to them, which means that his defense attorney got to, uh, like, cross, I want to say cross question. That's not it. Um, cross examine. Uh, yeah. So he was trying to paint them as unreliable and just seeking a payout. Um, and one of my favorite authors put it perfectly, uh, Jessica Valenti notes that the very reason these women were targeted was used to try and discredit them. Which is, like, yeah, like, he targeted yeah. them because of those histories, and, like, that's the same move his defense attorney made. Right. But despite this, on December 10th, 2015, Daniel Holtzclaw was convicted on 18 of the charges brought against him. 
Dang. With the jury recommending that he serve 263 years in prison. He also wow. bawled like a small child when the verdict came back. Oh my god! Which and he's like maintained his innocence. Whatever, you're the worst. No. Um, yeah. So he and he has made multiple appeals, like even like trying to get his case heard by the Supreme Court, and every last one of those appeals has fallen flat on his face. Nah. So that is a story of um, Janie Liggins. How one woman coming forward can mean. Yeah. justice for i mean quote i mean for sort of justice right. for all these other women yeah. um if if it if nothing it puts him behind bars so he can't do it to anybody else right right absolutely um and i do want to note with a story like that and also because april is sexual violence awareness and prevention month that um if you or someone you love has been a victim of sexual violence or abuse that you can call 1-800 656 hope um that's 1-800-656-4673 to be connected with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area um or if you don't if you're not comfortable on the phone you can reach out to a crisis text line to help you deal with whatever you've experienced or are experiencing and you can text home h-o-m-e to seven four one seven four one um so make sure that you are not alone especially during this time where we are all all quarantined and yay for the women who speak up are you there em (laughs) emily are you there yeah are you there i can see you can you see me Dang. Okay. Now I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Good. Now I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> the, listen, you're getting it raw here, folks. We're recording remotely and that happens. I know. It does. All right. All right. I heard, I could hear you a little bit. Were you done sharing all the numbers? I was done sharing all the numbers. Now Perfect. tell me a story. Cool. So I'm doing one that a lot of people probably know. I'm doing the zodiac killer shut up (laughs) a true crime classic a classic oh my gosh so i this has always been a story that's been just like it's kind of the first thing that really sparked my true crime passion if you will but there's a new um series on hulu and i can't remember what it's called but it's about this guy who's convinced that his his dad yeah. yeah, his bio dad is the Zodiac yeah. Killer. And so I started watching that and was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. I have to go back and like research all the the nitty gritty stuff about the Zodiac Killer and see if it lines up, if his theory is good. Because that's one of those things that like, who killed John Bonet? Who's the Zodiac yeah. Killer? Like, those are the things I have to is know. It Ted, is it Ted Cruz's dad? Probably, yeah. 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 So... It's long, and I'm I'm gonna leave out like three quarters of all the evidence and everything because I just can't fit it all in this time frame. Um, Monster season two is really good. The Zodiac Killer is so good. I it's like maybe like ten or twelve episodes, so they're able to get tons of stuff. The um the movie Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Robert Downey Jr. is also super good. So if you want more information, those are two great places 
there's also tons of other stuff. Um, I got most of this stuff just from Wikipedia because it's... It's a dense... It's also got a ton of information. Yeah, it's a dense case. Um, and it, yeah, it does a great job of just kind of highlighting it. And the other stuff I also kind of got from my brain, too, because <laughs> I've just been obsessed with this Do case. you use APA when you cite Emily's brain? I, 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 I do, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Emily's brain. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, for those of you who don't know, the Zodiac Killer was a serial killer who taunted Northern California for years between the late 60s and the early 70s. And he killed at least five victims with two survivors. And um, law enforcement and just people in general are pretty sure that he's responsible for other kidnapping cases, murders, um, that I'll talk about at the end that they don't have evidence on, but are pretty sure it's him. So, the first... Um, deaths that happen at the hands of the Zodiac Killer are David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. They're a high school couple. They're out on their first date. It's December 10th, 1968. They stop by to visit a friend. Um, their plan is that they're going to go to uh, like a Christmas show at one of their schools. Um, so they stop to visit a friend and then they go grab dinner and then they drive out to a lover's lane um, called Lake Herman Road. Um, you know, they're out there to just hang out, you know, talk. hold hands or whatever, yeah. just talk. Um, and just a little bit before 11, another car pulls up beside them and a man gets out of the car and orders them to get out of the car. Um, when David Faraday starts to get out of the car, the man shoots him twice. Um, and then he shoots Betty as she's running away. Um, he shoots her five times. Um, and then when... When the, the woman who found them, Stella Borges, she lives close to that area. So she, like, heard shots, called the police, and then went out to, like, look. And when she found them, Betty Lou was 30 feet away from the car. Um, and David was, like, sitting next to the car. So he had been shot and fell out of the car and was sitting next to the car. Um, so police come. They check for fingerprints, they check for everything, but it's 68, there's not much to go on. Um, and then about six months later, on July 4th, 1969, um, Michael Magow, I never know how to say his last name, and Darlene Farron are parked in Blue Springs Rock Park, Blue Rock Springs Park, about four miles away from the turnoff on Lake Herman Road where David and Betty Lou were. So they they park the car and um, a car pulls up next to them and then immediately drives away. But then 10 minutes later, the car comes back and parks behind them. So their car is like stuck where it is. They can't really escape. Um, the driver leaves the car and walks to the passenger side of where Michael and Darlene are. And the man who um, walked out of the car, he's got a flashlight and he shies, shines the flashlight in their eyes so they can't see who he is. The man doesn't say anything, he just shoots into the car, he shoots five times, he hits both of them multiple times. Um, after that, the man who shot them calls the Vallejo PD um, from a payphone nearby and he reports a murder. Um, and he claims responsibility for the murder, as well as the murder of David and Betty Lou six months ago. So this is when police are able to connect those two together. Um, the police are able to trace the call to a gas station on Springs Road in Tulum. 
Um, but no one is there when they get there. Um, Michael survives, even though he's shot in the face. And he's able to describe the attacker. He says, it was a man between 26 and 30. He was anywhere between 195 and 200 pounds. He was about 5'8", white man with short curly brown hair. So this is the first description that we have of the Zodiac Killer. And it's the most vanilla, nondescript description. Right. He looks like... The Unabomber. A guy. <laughs> right. So does every other man. So, before the Zodiac Killer kills anybody else or anything, he writes. he starts writing letters. So he writes letters to some of, like, the newspapers around in Northern California. So on August 1st, just, like, not even a month after the murder of, um, the murder of Darlene and the, oh my gosh, sorry, my phone almost died, <laughs> um, and the survival of Michael, he writes three letters. Um, each paper got a portion of a cipher that he sends out, um, and he tells them to put the, um, the cipher on their front page, and if he doesn't, he's gonna kill a bunch of people over the weekend, um, and he claims responsibility for the murder of the Lake Herman couple and the Blue Rock Springs couple, um, and so the, the Vallejo Times and the San Francisco, San Francisco Examiner are two of the papers that he sends this cipher to, and they don't publish the cipher at all. They're like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna mess with this guy, we're not gonna give him what he wants. But the San Francisco Chronicle publishes their part on page four. So they don't publish it on the front page like the Zodiac Killer asked them to, but they do publish it. Um, they also include a request from the police chief requesting more information about the murders. So basically, like, prove it. Like, you say you're responsible for these murders, but, like, you've only told us things that everybody knows. We don't, we like, we don't believe you. So, um, on August 7th, so just a few days after he sends the first letter, um, he sends another letter to the San Francisco Examiner, um, and it starts with, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. So this is the first time that we even have a name for this guy, and he, he gives it to himself, which is nuts, because usually, like, people who are in the community give names for the serial killers, but this guy's like, I'm gonna give my own name, <laughs> which is, like, just, like, shows how egomaniac he is. Um, so the letter also included more specific information about the murders, so right away the police knew that this guy was legit, like, he is the one, he's said, he's given us information that nobody else would know. Um, and it also includes a cipher that he says, if anybody can crack it, they'll have me. Um, basically saying that, like, if you can crack this, like, my name is in it. Um, so the next day, um, a couple, Betty and Donald Hardin. This is, like, my favorite of, part of the whole Zodiac. <laughs> I know, right? So they crack the code. And honestly, I'm not 100% convinced that they actually And they're just, the like, code. a teacher and, like, an accountant, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're just, like, average Joes. Yeah. Like, people who were, like, trained in the military to crack ciphers couldn't crack yeah. this. And, like, my personal opinion is because it wasn't supposed to be cracked. Like, it's... 
it's not it's a red herring a real yeah. thing yeah um so this is what they say it says it says i like killing people because it is so much fun it is more fun than killing wild game in the forest which is spelled with two r's um because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill something gives me the most thrilling experience which is also spelled wrong it is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part is that, which is also spelled wrong, it's T-H-A-E, which is not even a word. Um, so the best part is that when, when I die, I will be reborn in paradise, which is also spelled wrong. And the, which is supposed to be then, but didn't have an N, I will have killed, oh, and they I have killed or like the ones so there's like words missing or something so the I have killed will become my slaves I will not give you my name because you will try to slow and instead of a w at the end it's a j you will slow down or it's supposed to say stop but it says atop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife and then there's a bunch of random letters at the end that couldn't be solved okay so if if what they have cracked is right, the letters at the end are E B E O R I E T E M E T H H P I T I. And people have like looked at these letters and tried to figure out what it could mean and there's nothing in there that people can make sense of. So after this goes out and people are like, yeah, we think that's the that's the the crack to the to the code. Um, they continue kind of trying to look for somebody. Um, and while they're doing that, on September twenty seventh, nineteen sixty nine, um, college students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard are picnic picnicking at Lake Berryessa. Oh yeah, I was um, like, Lake Berryessa yep. is in here somewhere. Okay. Yep. So this is this is the one that most people know yeah. about. Um, so they're picnicking at Lake Berryessa, which is just a fun word it is to a very say, fun honestly, word. Berryessa. Yeah. I wish it wasn't tainted or it would be a pretty name. <laughs> like, I don't know. Anyways, so they're picnicking and a white man who um, later they describe as being probably 5'11 with combed greasy hair approaches them with a gun. He's also wearing an executioner's hood. So it's like a hood that covers his face and has like a bib thing on it. And he's wearing clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes. So he's wearing glasses, put the hood on, put the clip-ons on. Which is, like, so nerdy. It's kind of extra. Yeah. And then on the bib, he's drawn the zodiac symbol, which is, like, a circle with a plus sign through it. Um, so the zodiac and Cecilia tie up Brian, and then the zodiac ties up Cecilia. Um, and then he stabs the couple multiple times, um, which is unlike his previous MO, which was shooting. Um, then he, he doesn't even like check to see if they're dead or anything. He just stabs them. He had told them that he needed, um, to take their money and steal their car to go to Mexico because he was a convict. He had escaped from a prison in Montana. Um, so... After he stabs them, he leaves. He hikes back up to their car, um, but he ended up not stealing their car. He just wrote on their car. So he wrote, um, he, d he drew the Zodiac symbol, and then he wrote Vallejo 122068, um, which isn't the day that um, 
Oh, no, it is the day that David Faraday and Betty Lou were um, killed. And then he writes um, 7-4-69, which is the date that the um, that um, Michael and Darlene were. Darlene was killed and Michael was shot. Um, and then he writes September 27th, 69, 6.30 p.m. by knife. So he's written all of the, like, days or times um, of, like, other victims, um, to try and, like, prove that, like, it was me, um, because he knew that, like, the police were gonna be, like, this is a different MO, like, the Zodiac Killer shoots his victims, and this couple was stabbed, um, and then at 7.40, um, the, the killer, so Mr. Zodiac, um, he calls (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Zodiac, sir, his royal highness, his Royal Highness the Zodiac. He calls Napa County Sheriff and he said, this is his famous, I want to report a murder. No, a double murder. Um, so he calls them and just minutes later, police arrive at the phone and it's still hanging oh off the gosh. hook. Oh, that just gave me chills. Um, yeah. And it's it's wet. So like his hand was wet. He washed his hands or something. So the phone was still hanging on the hook and it was wet. So there, it, says, it said that they were able to pull wet handprints off um but I don't so I don't know what good that would do because I feel like if your hands are wet they don't really leave like fingerprints or anything yeah, but I don't know I'm I'm not a scientist so a man and his son are fishing at the lake when they hear screams and they go out and find the victims um Cecilia was conscious and she described the attacker in the ambulance um but while they're on the way she goes into a coma and dies two days later but brian completely survives the attack and he's able to address the press and confirm her descriptions um so they now have three people who have witnessed and described him to people um and then the next thing that happens is on october 11th 1969 um paul stein was a cab driver um, this is also another one that a lot of people know. Um, he's shot and he's robbed in his cab at Maple and Cherry in San Francisco. Um, the killer took Paul's wallet and keys and he ripped off a piece of his shirt. Um, so he took a piece of Paul's shirt with him. And three teens across the street, um, they call police witnessing a man wiping down the cab and walking away towards Presidio. Um, the radio dispatcher who took that call tell police um, that the attacker was a black man. But when the police show up and talk to the kids, the kids are like, no, it was a white dude. Like, we never said it was a black guy. So police, the two police officers on their way to go talk to the kids, passed by a really creepy looking white guy. They like walked right past him and didn't think anything of it because the guy that they thought they were looking for was black. So they literally walked right by him and didn't do anything because they had no idea. Um, They just like, when they first got there and heard that it was a black guy, they were like, it's just a regular like classic cab robbery. Um, Classic cab robbery. Classic. Um, So on the 13th of October, so two days later, a letter is delivered to the Chronicle. Am I too loud? Oh, Ryan just came in. He told me I wasn't being too loud, but I feel like I'm yelling. Um, 
a letter is delivered to the Chronicle that has the piece of Paul's bloodstained shirt Ugh, again chills. in it. So he this is and this is the letter that he also um, threatens that he's gonna shoot school children he's just gonna shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out um and he so he wants um the chronicle to write a story about him or publish something he always has something that he wants and threatens that he's he's gonna threaten to kill more people and he's gonna give them a piece of evidence and then on november 8th about a month later the zodiac mails a card with another cipher this time it contains 340 characters and this one has never been solved and this one he says this one has my name in it um but again no one's ever been able to solve it um so we don't know if it's actually you know if it's real or not um and then um this is on on Mar so on march 27th 1970 um this is one that they can't say for sure that it was him because he never takes credit for it. But the victim is absolutely sure that it was him. So Kathleen Jones was driving from San Bernardino to Petaluma um, to visit her mother. She is seven months pregnant and she also has her 10-month-old daughter in the car with her. Um... And she's around Modesto when a car behind her starts flashing its lights and honking. So she pulls over and the man um, comes up to her window and says that your your right wheel is really wobbly. Like, do you want me to, to fix it for you? And she's like, sure, that'd be great. So he, he says he tightens the wheel and they both drive off in their cars. Um, but immediately Kathleen's tire just falls off. Don't ever accept, so, don't ever accept right. help that you didn't ask for. On, on your car or get out of your car or pull over because somebody yeah. wants you don't do it right don't i'm not do blaming it. the victim like, but that's just a life tip absolutely i know like my mom used to tell me like if you get pulled over and you're on like a deserted street like don't pull over don't do yeah. it and one time i did and literally like i was so nervous i was like this is it this is when i die because I was just so nervous that I was going to get in trouble for not pulling over. And it was nighttime. And I was like, this is it. This is when I die or whatever. And the guy, like, could tell I was so nervous. I was, like, in high school or something. And he was like, your brake light's out. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. He's like, is this your dad's car? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, just fix it. And I was like, okay. Bye. And see, smart. Don't ever get out of the car. Yeah. They shouldn't ask you to get out of the car. Like, make sure you see their yeah. badge. Like, yeah. If if you're getting pulled over and you're not sure, call nine one one and they'll confirm. And they'll confirm. There's yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. You won't get in trouble. Like I don't know why I thought I would get in trouble. I was just so afraid. Of, well, I'm sure that had never happened to you before either. Yeah. yeah, it hadn't. And like I didn't know. Like my mom would always tell me, "Don't pull over on a deserted street." But I didn't know why. She never said like because you're gonna die. Yeah, sure. Um. So okay. So anyways, Kathleen is in putting myself in her shoes she has a 10 month old daughter she's seven months pregnant she there's no way that if her wheel was really loose that she would have been able to fix it herself right. anyways um so the man comes back and he offers to drive her to a gas station um so she gets in the car and she pulls out her 10 month old daughter and they both get in the car 
and he drives around for about like 90 minutes passing a lot of gas stations and finally um she's like where are you taking me and he was like oh no that's not a good one so they end up at an intersection and kathleen just grabs her daughter and jumps out of the car like while they're just on the street she's able to like run into a field um he the man tries to run after her but he can't find her um so she goes to the police um and while she's in the police station they have a picture of paul stein's killer um the the description from the kids who were across the street they made a sketch out of that and she before she can even like give her statement she says that's the guy that guy kidnapped me um and so zodiac continued to send cards and letters to the press um in a letter that came on um february 18th 1970 he signs it with the Zodiac symbol and says like Zodiac equals 10 SFPD equals zero. So basically saying like, I've killed 10 people and you've caught none of them. Um, in a letter, um, dated April 20th, 1970, he wrote, my name is blank. Um, and then it included a 13 character cipher. So a lot of people think like, okay, his name has 13 letters. And so when they like, there's, there's so many, theories out there of who it could be one of the easiest ways to narrow them down is they say like oh this guy's name doesn't have 13 <laughs> letters which is like unless so unless dumb. he's just completely messing with you yeah right which honestly kind of seems like it his very last letter he signs me equals 37 sfpd equals zero which like so much of his letters are like either he's like a maniacal genius and has come up with this secret cipher language and has killed 37 people, and only a handful of them have even been discovered and connected to him, like, or this guy is just straight messing with the cops, and they have fed into it, and then he got bored Mm -hmm. and just stopped. So there's about, there's, there's three prominent cases that the Zodiac killer is most likely responsible for, but can't be officially linked to. Um, Sherry Jo Bates, um, and then the disappearance of Donna Lass and Robert Domingo and his fiance Linda Edwards, their murder. If if I didn't include those, if they didn't get included, just go Google them. The part of the crazy thing I feel like about Zodiac is that even in the cases definitively um, tied to him, his mo is different. Like, like yeah, shooting, stabbing, um, which like usually people like then that rando kidnapping that they think is him, like right. everything is so different. Even when the with the ones that they're like, yeah, this was the guy. So it's so hard yeah. to like know the fringe cases, like which ones are yeah. associated with him. Um, excellently done, Emily. That's a very hard case to uh, summarize. So very well done. It was hard, and I feel like I just barely scraped yeah. the surface. So, so seriously, like, go research it yourself. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go rewatch Zodiac. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies, just because like it's one of my favorite cases. But then also Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. are incredible yeah. in that, and they're like my favorite actors. So and Payne Lindsay's too. series on it is really good too. Yeah, I, I fe- yeah, it's. Incredible. I feel like I knew basics, and then I listened to that, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, um, 
Yeah. I felt like I knew a lot about it and then I listened to that and I was, there were things that I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, duh, I totally forgot about that. And then there were things like, oh my gosh, I didn't know yeah. that. Crazy. So, so yeah. nuts. Um, well, now is the time on the show where we detox. We detox from yeah. our alcohol as well as the horror we've just discussed. And Yes, and we discussed a lot for a long time for sure today. as East did. What can we say? We haven't really had a lot of human interaction today other than each other. It's true. It's but true. Emily, um, I don't know if we just said with the detox question. We probably mentioned that. Whatever. Um, yeah. Emily... We're what really is, tired. Sorry, listen, guys. This is a hot mess. It's been mess. really hard being in our houses all day. We're very tired. It's true. Um, We're really tired. Emily, if you could be in any reality show, what would it be? Oh. We had we had the question if you could be in any TV show, but I like yeah, reality show. TV show is like you want to be a part of that fictional world, but like if you could be yeah. on a reality show, what would it be? I'm going to say The Circle. <laughs> Actually, right now, I don't know, because you have to be, like, isolated for a mm-hmm, long amount of time. Mm-hmm. You don't have any other human interaction. I, I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm going to stick with it, because it, you get to kind of be a detective. If you haven't watched The Circle, it's great. It's These people are all in the same apartment building, but each are, are in their own rooms. They can't leave. They communicate with each other through this, like, social media platform type thing, where they can, like, chat with each other. They get to post pictures and whatever, and... Some people are catfishing, some people aren't. People get voted off, the winner wins a ton of money. So, I would do that because it'd be like a fun, fun kind of detective-y type thing where like I would really want to figure out like if people are catfishing or not. Yeah, that would be great. I feel like you would thrive. You would kick everybody's ass on that show. I would. And I've had lots of experience being isolated (laughs) because I'm an introvert. And you work from home. And I work yeah. from home. So amazing. Yeah. What about you? Oh, blah, blah, blah. that's a The Bachelor. Oh my gosh. Or the ba- the Bachelorette. Is that, that your is dream? my total dream. Um actually it's funny, I don't know why I picked this question because I don't watch that much reality TV. Um yeah. I don't watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I'm trying to think like the fun sh- reality shows that I like to watch are um I don't know if I'd want to be on it, but Glow Up, which was like which is on Netflix, but it's mm. basically project runway but for makeup artists like that looked super fun not that I can do makeup that well um but I like those types of like I like project runway and that one and like I don't want to be on America's Next Top Model but I love like all the creativity behind the shoots and like all the different hair and makeup um yeah well you can be on it and be like a host yeah I want to be a bitchy judge that's what I that's my true passion in life is judging people ruthlessly judging um that would be the most fun uh, or I don't know, like one of those commentators on like a baking show, because you just like get to eat what everybody makes. Yeah. Oh, the Great British Baking Show. That's that would a good be, one. That would be pretty much the dream. Um, yeah. Thanks for hanging with us during this episode. Yeah, seriously. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Wherever. Follow us at Lightweight True Crime um, on Instagram. And. Uh, lwtruecrime at gmail.com is our email address. Send us questions, send us stories, just say just hi. Just say hi. Um, yeah, send us questions you'd like us to ask each other, send us stories you'd like us to cover, uh, how, yeah. ways that you're coping with uh, COVID-19. Please stay safe out there. Yeah. Seriously, wear a mask, wash your hands. Donate to, donate and, to your uh, local food bank. Yeah. Cheers. Bye.
I put food in my mouth, so <laughs> let me just chew and That's swallow. Fine. That's allowed. I am. I grab my drink. My drink looks like your drink. Ooh, it's clear. Mm. All right. 